Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. Well, I trust you've read Genesis chapter 4 and no doubt noticed that immediately there is no reprieve from the consequences of sin. The chapter gives to us the birth of Cain and Abel, the first to be born into this world, as well as their occupation as they grow older, and then their worship and God's response to their worship. We're then given a brief look at Cain's descendants, and then it moves on to the future hope that lies in Seth and his line. So let's look at the passage in a little more depth. Verse 1, we see Eve's response to the birth of Cain. This is her first child. and She seems to pair the event with the language given by God concerning the seed of the woman. And so she has the sense of hope. I have acquired the man from the Lord is the sense of the language that we find in verse 1. And so we, we see clearly that at times our ideas of what God is doing does not fit his plan at all. Verse 2 then gives us the details of Abel's birth and the idea of his name is vanity. Now it's difficult, at least for me, to be absolutely dogmatic whether or not this vanity relates to he's not needed, uh, he's surplus to requirements because all their hope is in Cain, or that they already see in Cain a fallen nature that is causing them to, to despair. We're then told of the employment of Cain and Abel. God is, doesn't always give the intricate details of, of men, but when he does, often he gives us their occupation, which is something for us men to realize that we, we often really are identified by the work that we do. But, but Cain follows in the footsteps of his father. He's a tiller of the ground. Abel becomes a keeper of the sheep, which is fascinating when you think about it. Most scholars agree that Adam and his posterity were not eating meat until after the flood, which begs the question, why keep sheep? For their fleece, perhaps? For milk, perhaps? For offering sacrifices and making sure there was sufficient to offer to God? We don't know, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Abel is drawn to this kind of work, which subsequently we see uh, has a pattern through Scripture. Those that keep sheep are like the shepherd, and that points to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of discussion about the differences between the two sacrifices. As we look at Cain and Abel's sacrifice, what's the distinction? Why is Cain's rejected? Why is Abel's accepted? Is it tied to the fact that Abel's was a blood offering and Cain's was not? We read on in scripture, we find out later that God has a place for grain offerings, so maybe that's not the issue. If it's not, then what is the issue? Is it because Abel's brought the first fruits and Cain, while he brought an offering, it wasn't the first fruits, he was bringing the dregs or something lesser? Maybe that's the issue. Whatever the case, what we do know beyond shadow of doubt, is that Abel brought his an evangelical faith. Hebrews 11 makes it clear that God accepted Abel's offering because it was by faith. And that's contrasted with Cain, who is not offering what he brings to God in any believing way. So foundationally, that is the problem at the very least. 
perhaps there are other things involved. Because there's no faith, he doesn't bring a blood offering because there's no faith. He doesn't bring of his first fruits, but that's the key issue. More debate surrounds verse 7. What does it mean that sin lies at the door? Is it more sin lies at the door? Sin offering lies at the door? Whatever the case is, it seems that we can perceive here the covenant of grace and its outward call being manifested. When Adam and Eve rebelled, there was nothing for them to respond to. God has to come and communicate the message of how they can be reconciled. But here you see the covenant of grace worked out outwardly in that it calls men to repent. Verses 10 through 12, we see that God brings judgment to Cain. Uh, He made his living off the ground. and God is adding more judgment to that, maybe indicating that it's going to be impossible for him to live off of the ground, or at least it's going to be extremely difficult. When God told Adam by the sweat of his brow he would eat bread, now he's telling Cain that at least it would seem no, no amount of sweat is going to produce for you what you need from the ground. But we see that God does not ignore injustice. The ground is crying. It has taken Abel's blood and it's crying out for justice. And since there's no civil government, then this is the way God deals with Cain, showing that you can't escape the consequences for sin. From verse 14, we learn that Cain is very aware he's being pushed out away from God. It seems that he enjoyed something of the presence of God while he functioned within the family, but now that is going to no longer be the case and he feels the weight of that. When we come to verse 22 and following, we get an insight into Cain and his descendants and it is extremely impressive. However, it's also very brief and God appears to skim over it very quickly because even the impressive feats of men really mean nothing to God. He is not impressed by them when God is not at the heart of their works. And so while when we get to the flood, God is going to extinguish Cain's line, whatever their accomplishments, he then introduces us to a new line in Seth before the close of the chapter. And through this line is the hope of the future. So when we come to application, there's many things to consider. First of all, we see that Satan wastes no time. He is right in there trying to destroy the first family. And sadly, does so with its success once again. And so this is a warning to you and your family. Every family and every member in every family needs to be on the alert. Satan is right there trying to wreak havoc. I hope, I hope that you're not succumbing to it. If you are, be not ignorant of his devices and fight what you see him doing in your life and between you and your family. Secondly, we see that Cain and Abel brought their offering. Immediately that verb indicates to us there was a place where they worshipped. Perhaps that was a place that Adam had set up. Whatever the case, it reminds us that there ought to be a place where we meet with God. A place in our home, a closet as it were, where we meet with God. You have to have one, I must have one. There's also a place where we corporately come together Cain and Abel are in the same location, bringing their offering. We also need to gather with others and worship God together. Third, avoid the tendency to add sin to sin. Verse 5 shows us that Cain, when he discovers that God has rejected his offering, instead of repenting, he gets mad. He adds sin to sin. It's like the 
child and children, <laughs> don't do this. When you do wrong, and it's addressed by mom or dad, and you get mad because you're disciplined for it, you're adding sin to sin. You're not helping. Don't do that. Repent. Fourth, we are reminded not to judge godliness by longevity of life. We know that God's intention is to fill the earth with godly examples. That being the case, we would conclude, then take Cain out of the world quickly and leave Abel and his line. But God's ways are not our ways, and we must be very careful in making judgments in what we perceive in his providence. Fifth, we see that the ground receives Abel's blood and brings a curse upon Cain. Years later, that same ground is going to receive blood, only this time it's the blood of Christ, and it's going to reverse the curse and bring blessing to men. Sixth, Cain's response to God concerning his brother in verse 9 shows him distancing himself from his brother. Am I my brother's keeper? He is distancing himself. In contrast, our Lord Jesus Christ, praise his name, is going to take on our humanity and not be ashamed to call us brethren, coming near to us in order that he might save us. And then seventh, the chapter ends with a revival of sorts, a revival of religion when men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And this is what we should look for in our families. I trust that even in these days, God will revive your family and my family and all of our families in a marvelous way in which we see more and more a sincere calling upon the name of the Lord.